So are things back to normal for you yet? Not quite. I know some of you are like, Eric, it's only the eighth day of Christmas. We have four more days of Christmas left. Some of y'all are hardcore, man. I've got a fire trap in this corner of my living room that needs to come down. The days immediately following Christmas are always a bit of a letdown for me. We got to take the tree out to the curb. We need to pack up the ornaments. Our family, uh, my sister and her children were here this week, and so we had to say goodbye to them this week. Uh, This next week, the kids will go back to school. Sarah will start work again. Life goes back to normal. That's why it's comforting to remember that life went back to normal for all of the people that we just read about over these last two weeks in Luke chapter 2. For Mary and Joseph, for the shepherds, for all the people of Bethlehem, life went back to normal. That silent night that was broken by the angels, eventually receded from the shepherd's memory. I dare say that none of those shepherds ever saw an angel again. In fact, the oldest among them probably never saw Jesus again. You have to think that they always had to wonder why their lives were interrupted for that glorious second. The youngest of the shepherds were old men when Jesus began his public ministry some 30 years later. I often wonder, were they there? Were they there among those early crowds who gathered to hear this new teacher sent from God? And when they heard what his name was, when they heard where he was born, did they remember that babe lying in a manger now teaching on a hillside. We read in verse 19 that Mary pondered all these things in her heart, but if you've ever been a parent, you know you don't have much time to ponder. There are diapers to be changed, a husband to love, and normal life to live. There was life after Christmas, and that's where we live too. This morning, what I want you to see is that even the main characters of the Christmas story had to wake up the morning after the angel hosts interrupted their life. They had to learn how to live in light of what they just experienced. And I think if we understand that, that will help us understand our lives of faith as well. Here in Luke chapter 2, the silent night, the holy night of Jesus' birth turns into the morning after Christmas. And that's the moment in which all of us must live. So how do you live in light of Christmas? How do you live life after Christmas? That's the million-dollar question. To help us make our way through that question, I want to use three words to guide us. The first is obedience. The second word is contemplation. And the third word is faith. Obedience, contemplation, and faith. I use the word obedience because I think that the shepherds are examples of the obedience that is required in light of the angelic announcement. Go back to verse 15. After the angels had left, 
what did the shepherds do? Did they just return to watching over their flocks? Did they sit down and look at one another and go, wow, that was really strange? No, they got up and they went. They told others what the angels had told them, verse 17. And finally, they leave Mary and Joseph glorifying and praising God. They were different because of what had happened to them. They went, they told, and they praised. Each week, your pastors endeavor to preach to you the good news of a Savior. Does that good news provoke a similar response in your life? Do you find yourself sitting back down and going, well, that was interesting. Something there might be helpful later on down the road, or does it provoke the same kind of response of of obedience? Well, Eric, if you were an angel, maybe it would help. (laughs) If you appeared to me in the middle of the night telling me this grand news, maybe I would find myself more inclined to follow after God. I'd find obedience easier when everything is so difficult. We are in a different spot than the shepherds, I know. But it's not all negative. In fact, we enjoy some privileges that the shepherds never could have imagined. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that you and I, when we get together to worship, we gather at Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, with innumerable angels and festal gathering. Okay, but I can't see them. All right, well, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he tells us that every week when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we actually participate in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The one who rules and reigns at the right hand of God gives us his heavenly life. In fact, Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and he tells us that God himself is with us, and that we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's what's happening to you. And it never happened to the shepherds. Each week, you and I get a glimpse into the heavenly life and the presence of God that those shepherds only saw once in their lifetimes. Yet for us, it happens week in and week out. Friends, how do you respond to that? Where is the Lord directing your steps in obedience? I wish that that was all that it really took, right? That if we could leave here being encouraged and and provoked into obedience, but many of us still struggle to follow the examples of our shepherd's obedient faith. And I think that's partly because we're not enough like Mary. Go back to verse 19. 
Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Listen to how John Calvin reflects on this verse. If we are wise, it will be the chief employment and the great object of our life to consider with attention those works of God which build up our faith. Let me read that again. If we are wise, it will be the chief employment and the great object of our life to consider with attention, to contemplate those works of God which build up our faith. Let me ask you, what is building up or what is tearing down your faith? When I am most dissatisfied with my life, I can often trace it back to my refusal. My refusal to live, my refusal to act in light of the work of God for me. My neglect. My neglect of the practices and the habits of the heart that God says bring us life. Well, Eric, I show up every week to worship, and I'm here, and I just still struggle. I get it. But what we do together here in our public worship isn't enough. God also calls us to contemplation. God calls us to private practices of piety and service that help ground us in his good news. Friends, I think Mary is a good example of the kind of contemplation we should practice. She fills her heart with the things that she has seen happen around her, with the promises of God that have been communicated to her through the angel and the shepherds that come, and she's pondering these things. She's working over them. What do you ponder? What do you fill your heart with? What do your eyes see? What do your ears listen to? What does your mind focus on? You and I are either building up our faith or we are letting it grow cold and weak. What has been true of you this past year? What do you want to be true of you in this coming new year? If the angelic announcement is true, it should make a difference. It should make a difference in our choices. It should make a difference in our words. It should make a difference in our thoughts and in our actions. And if it's not making a difference in your life, friends, the fault isn't with the angels. The fault isn't with the announcement. Instead, it's a judgment against us and our unwillingness to submit our lives to God. The way back is to follow the obedience of the shepherds. The way back is to follow Mary in her diligent contemplation of the things of God. Friends, that's why I hope that as you start this new year, many of you are thinking about ways in which you can strengthen your own faith. 
Maybe you have resolved to tackle the Bible again, and you're going to read through it this time. No, really, I really am going to read through it this time. Or you're going to attend church more consistently, or you're finally going to join that small group so Susanna McBee doesn't chase you down anymore. You're going to share your faith. You're not going to be quiet when somebody asks you. There's all kinds of good things that we could be doing, right? All of those things are absolutely necessary for us to continue to grow and to be strengthened. But friends, on the first day of the new year, we also need to be brutally realistic. How many of us have made similar resolutions before? Are you a better person today than you were January 1 of 2022? Were you actually able to keep all of those resolutions? Very few of us are ever satisfied with our progress when we get to the end of the year. So ultimately, folks, your confidence can't be found in the things that you do. Your confidence before God can't be found in these resolutions that you make, as important as they are. No. Your confidence actually has to be found in what Christ has done for you. See, that's where our faith is focused. Faith is not a warm feeling about God generally. Faith is not some kind of blind leap in the dark, trusting that someone out there somewhere will catch you. Faith instead looks away from yourself and to the work of Jesus for you and says, that's my hope. That's my confidence. Starting at verse 21, we see three strange ceremonies that may seem very foreign to us today, and yet this is the ground of our faith. This is the security that we're all looking for. This is part of what we're looking to when we look away from ourselves. First, in verse 21, Jesus is circumcised the eighth day after his birth. And then second, in verse 22, Mary brings a purification offering to the temple. And then third, in verse 23, Jesus is dedicated as the firstborn to the Lord. What's, what's going on with all of these rituals? What's going on with all of these ceremonies? Well, here's your homework, okay? You need to go read Genesis 17, Leviticus 12, oh, not Leviticus, Leviticus 12, Exodus 13, and Numbers 18. Because that's what explains everything that's going on here. Now, obviously, we don't have time to go through each of those passages this morning. So let me say very simply, from the first moments of Jesus' life, he kept the law of God perfectly. He was subjected to the law by the practice of circumcision. That's what marked him out as an heir of Abraham, as someone who was born into a covenant with God. Mary, his mother, is faithful to the specifics of the law, 
that required a purification sacrifice 40 days after the birth of a male child. And then Jesus is bought back from God. He is redeemed from God with five shekels as a purchase price because the Lord told Israel after he rescued them from slavery in Egypt through the Passover that because he spared their firstborn sons, from then on all firstborn sons belonged to him. Now, the tribe of Levi ends up standing in that stead. And so all of the Levite men are priests before God. But the other families of Israel would purchase their sons back from God with a small offering. And that's what Joseph and Mary are doing here. From the first moments of his life, even with things that he has no control over, Jesus is being perfectly obedient to God's law. Did you notice how often Luke repeats that phrase here? The law of Moses, verse 22. The law of the Lord, verse 23. The law of the Lord, verse 24. It was his obedience to the law that was absolutely necessary for him to be a savior. If he had failed in even one point of that, of that obedience, he would not have been the perfect savior that you and I need to secure our redemption. But because his law-keeping was perfect, his righteousness before God can be given as a gift to you and me. Yes, he forgives sins, and what a glorious thing that is. But friends, part of the gospel is that he also fills up the righteousness that is lacking in us. He doesn't merely wipe your slate clean and then set you out in the world and say, I hope it works out for you. No, he fills up what is lacking. But he doesn't do it by snapping his fingers or speaking some new reality into place. He does it through the hard work of everyday life. In every place where Adam failed, in every place where Israel failed, in every place where you and I fail, Jesus perfectly obeyed in thought, word, and deed to the law of his Father. That's why we can read in verse 21 that his name is called Jesus, which means the Lord saves, God saves. And certainly that's what we're looking to when we look back over our own past year and we see our lack of obedience, we see our neglect of contemplation, when we even with great intentions look forward to the next year and say, this is what I desperately want for my life, friends, the best news of all is that when you fail, not if you fail, but when you fail, life after Christmas is all of grace. We are dependent on what Jesus has done for us. It's His righteousness that becomes the wind in our sails that makes obedience a delight, that makes the practice of contemplation something that we eagerly turn to to see what we can discover in the Word of God. 
Every moment of Jesus' life, he lived for you. And that's where your faith, that's where your trust must look. So if your Bible reading plan flounders in Leviticus, if you continue to struggle with old sins, Maybe 2023 introduces a brand new temptation that you never thought yourself capable of. Or maybe you're quiet when you have the opportunity to witness to Christ or you, whatever. You can fill in the blank. Whatever your failure, whatever your struggle, whatever your need. Friends, on the last day of 2023, you can with just as much confidence as you will say today, glory to God in the highest. A Savior was born, and He has lived a full life for you and me, so that in turn we may live our lives for Him. May that be your prayer for these days after Christmas, this life after Christmas. May your life and my life, and our life together as the body of Christ reflect that joy, that hope, and that confidence until Jesus returns. Let's pray. Father, may we, like the shepherds, obey, and may we, like Mary, contemplate and Father, may we be brought again and again and again to the foot of Jesus, who bears in his body yet today the scars that he earned because of our sin, and yet speaks the promises of the gospel that he fills up in us what we could never do for ourselves so that we can stand before you with joy and confidence. May that be our hope. In Christ's name, amen.